Um, I'm a Packers fan, but but um, <laughs> right now, right now, Buffalo. I, I'm God help me. I'm old enough to remember Buffalo going to the Super Bowl four times and losing. Yeah, okay. yeah. Buffalo yeah. needs to break that curse of the Bambino, and Josh Allen needs to be needs to beat Patrick Mahomes for his own psyche. He needs that. He needs to do it this year, or I don't think he'll ever recover. So I'm going to say. Buffalo for the AFC, NFC. I don't, I, I don't know about the Rams. They're looking kind of, kind of. Now and now with Jimmy G back running San Francisco, <laughs> I'll dare say it could be, uh, and because everybody thought. Oh uh, no, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm not going to even talk about Russell Wilson right now because he, <laughs> <laughs> he cooks. Uh, I, I, okay, I, I, my cooking is way better than his right now because he cooks. Uh, <laughs> He cooked some some nasty MREs and made everybody about want to puke. But yeah, okay, no. So for I'll say the Bills will beat San Francisco in the Super Bowl. Opulent Inventory, our proud partners here on the show. From iPhones to MacBooks to Apple TV to Apple Watches to trade-ins and much more, now you can have the Apple product of your dreams. Visit Opulent Inventory on opulentinventory.com and on Instagram. My guy Nash and Gardy are the very best in the game to provide you the Apple product of your dreams. Now, let's get back to the show. Second segment here on the Sebi Podcast Radio Show, live and streaming here on WNSC Radio and 18 different platforms worldwide. We're here with our main guest today, Eugene Bennett, um, an author, a philanthropist. Uh, this is a guy here that's been through it all um, from, of course, this great state of Wisconsin. Gene, uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate this. No right. doubt, no doubt at all. You've got a, you've got a great story that um that that you have, and I want to share with you. Obviously, you know your experiences and your times um, in the military as a mm-hmm. Marine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just share share some light about us and, and where you're all from. All right, I'm originally from Wisconsin, uh, and uh, I joined the Marine Corps in 1994. Uh, I spent my first four years in the Marine Corps as a mechanic in Marine Infantry Unit. Actually, I was in First Battalion, Eighth Marine Regiment, the unit that that got hit on our way out of Afghanistan. So yeah, 
I, 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 me and my guys got grumpy about that, but yeah, that's where I'm originally from. Then I joined the national guard or what we affectionately refer to as the nasty guard, uh, from 98 to 01. And that's where, you know, I settled down and I wasn't hyper motivated. Like I was cracked out on what we like to call rippets, which it, downrange now rippets are what we call liquid crack in a can. So that's what you had. You had to be amped up to get through the convoy missions and kick in doors and stuff. D- went from the National Guard into the reserves where I got two of my deployments in. And one of these days I want my one week in a month, my ass T-shirts. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, that that's my military background, you know, in, in a brief little nutshell. So definitely, definitely there as well. So kind of explain to us uh, the transition from that into what some of the stuff that you're doing now um how did that transition happen was it a smooth transition or was it something that was a little bit difficult for you given your your experiences it was the opposite of smooth it was (laughs) two grit sandpaper wrapped in a cactus rough okay because you get home and like i'll tell you a quick little story that i I was told by my ex-fiance her sister she said in Africa, the tribes would send them off to war. And when they came back from war, they just put them in this little village and let them transition and chill and eventually move their way back in. When you get home from Iraq they'll, they'll ha- or Afghanistan or whatever, they will get you in these briefings. They will brief you into the fetal position, just unloading everything possible on you to where you don't know up from down. And then they just turn you loose, you know. Um, and I struggled with PTSD, like you would not believe I still struggle with it to this day. Um, and the book that I wrote, uh, the title is we did not deserve the crapper. The the book that I wrote was just me, you know, I was talking to a dude in the gym one day and he's like, you need to write a book about the the story you just told me. I'm like, so without even thinking, I just got four of my guys from the compound in the prison that I was in as a prison guard. I got them in uh, Facebook messenger and I'm like, I want to tell our story. And they're like, and I, but I said, you've got to be 100% sure. If you're 99% sure, it dies right here. And they all, within three hours, all four of them gave me their blessing that they'd have my back. So um, the transition has sucked because dealing with the VA, let me put it like this. You remember the iconic scene from Predator where Jesse Ventura whips out the minigun and proceeds to clear cut the forest with it and the attempt to kill a Predator? The VA's diagnostic attitude towards the veteran is it, it, it we have a saying in the automotive technician is industry fire the parts cannon that's when you just guess and you give up on trying to actually diagnose it the va has turned the parts cannon into jesse ventura's minigun where they just spray and pray and hope they hit something hmm. and that hmm. makes it really difficult and challenging to get diagnosed correct correctly and have you know to to get you know, good treatment options. And when you don't have insurance and if they don't like you, you get the bottom of the barrel care. You know what I'm saying? And if you're struggling with your PTSD and you're not the sweetest, most loving person in the world, they're going to just, they're just going to shut you down. So it's mainly been veteran nonprofits that have been piecemealed together to kind of help out, you know, but mainly it's just been me and my guys just sticking together, you know, and uh, that's when I started writing the book 10 years ago. So it's, it's the gym, it's writing the book and getting my other projects done to help the veteran community and just me just just focusing on those goals. That's what's gotten me through. Awesome there. Go ahead, Mike. 
Yeah, yeah, Gene, uh, you, you, you talk about a lot of ventures and a lot of things you're doing right now, projects mm-hmm. you're working on right now and things of that nature. Yeah. And, and with your with your military background, you know, you know, having a lot of that on your plate requires a lot of discipline, focus, mm-hmm. you know, being locked in, accountability and being a leader mm-hmm. and things like that. Yeah. Do you believe that the military background that you have is what propelled you to be able to handle all this, everything that's on your plate right now? It's the it's the background. I, I also come my 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 I'm like third or fourth generation military. My I have gotcha. a great uncle who survived the Battle of the freaking Bulge, and he before he died, he had, like, apparently he had a piece of shrapnel about a quarter inch from his heart. You know, so it's not just the military background. And plus, my father was a Vietnam vet, so he was what I called the unyielding hard ass. I have an uncle who was uh, Air Force, he was highly disciplined. So it's not just the, my background, it's the expectations of my family's backgrounds. It's my brothers supporting me. So it's a whole, it's a whole thing. It's a whole network. It's, it's all of that. So it's the military background itself. And that just get it done, mission accomplishment mindset. But you also have to work together as a team and not crap all of each other and work together really well. So it's, it's a whole, the military subculture is a really, really tight culture. And we, on, on our good days, we really support and love on each other. You know? So, yeah, it's all of that. Yeah. Are, there, are there any key comparisons to the military teams and, and sports teams? Well, yeah, they're, they're, the key comparisons are teamwork, um, selflessness. Uh, you know, uh, in the Army, it's called move, shoot, communicate. So, yeah, communication is key. Uh, you know, that tightness, that brotherhood is key. Those are, those are some really big uh, uh, commonalities. Yeah, so, yeah, that, that's, that's what keeps you going when things get really hard and, and, you know, you're going through hard missions or you're taking tough losses. That, so, yeah, those things are really the, the, the primary, you know, commonalities. Gotcha. Definitely, definitely there for sure. I, I want to get to a feel of – what went to writing this book, right? Um, you know, obviously it had to be something that you were dealing with. You talked about the hardships that you were going through. Mm-hmm. Can you mm-hmm. explain to us, you know, how hard it is to actually start that process, to even write a book, given the circumstances and the experiences that you had there with. Oh, the- yes. <laughs> oh wow, dude. Okay, here we go. All right. Check it out. The thing about the hard thing about writing a book is, first of all, my former publisher told me it takes three to 10 years to write a good book. So I'm right at the end of that 10 year period to get it written. The hard part is you, you, the hard, you have to have a plan. Okay. There's nothing wrong with vomiting your soul up into a laptop and finding an editor and say, Hey, make this readable for the general public. You've got to have, you've got to have, you've got to, when I started writing, it was part two of my time in Baghdad, which was the main thrust of it, was going to be, it was going to be like a short story. So I get all my guys together. The confirmations I was seeking from them turned into collaborations. The collaborations turned into part one. And and part one was a lot of the really, it was the first juvenile murder. Oh, by the way, we're the only internment facility in all of Iraq to have housed juveniles at that time. Uh, it was the first juvenile murder, and yet, uh, then my the short story was going to be the second juvenile murder, and, and the the hardest part about writing a book is once you get past that part where confirmations turn into collaborations, you are talking about a whole other world of content because 
you are ha- when you interview people, not only can like not only you you know this, I'm thinking pretty well. Not only can you not censor someone, but you actually have to actively discourage them from censoring themselves. The hardest the hardest part is it getting out of control and turning into this big monster because you have to get stuff confirmed. You're going to have members of the old unit. They're going to hate you for doing it because you're dredging up their memories and now they're pissed off. So, And, and anybody who says you don't need money to, to write a book, whether you self-publish or not, you need to tell them to put down the Willie Nelson pot, Brownie, because they are out of their minds. Okay, you need money to get, whether you self-publish or go through, try to get through a, a publishing house, you need money for editors. You need money for you need money for everything. I mean, I want, I'll damn, I almost say down payment on a house money. Okay. So it, it, it's, it's an entire process that you have to brace yourself for and embrace to survive. Okay. Whether you go through barfing up your soul, editing, uh, you know, and then you get people interview. I had one guy said, I cannot give you one story. Dude gave me six. Okay. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a crucible. It's a gauntlet you have to survive. The whole thing is just a, a one bit to quote um, to quote uh, Keanu Reeves from the replacements. It's all just blurred into one big beating because you just got to survive the whole thing. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Absolutely. You can go ahead, Mike. Hmm, okay. That's, that's very, that's very interesting. What are, what are some of, what are some of the biggest, Outside of you know, obviously the, you know the funding. The funding is a key piece in that, and being able mm-hmm. to fund your thing, whether it's independent or not. What yeah. are some of the other obstacles and adverse situations you've had to go through in this process of trying to get a book out there? Okay, I okay. I interviewed all my guys from the compound. I got all the information I could get out of them, and you have to respect when they say they're done, they're done. That's just the end of the discussion. Here's where things got stupid, stupid, stupid. I go through my first editor. I put one story about my child at the end of the book to cap the book. And it was only going to be 260 plus pages. The editor says, I need more of that. But the problem is, he, A, he needed, he never gave me lateral limits as far as the, as the story, the childhood story is a form of character development for me because I had no character development for me. Um, so you got to be prepared for that because that's a setback in your mind. Because every time you think you're, you're done and then somebody says you're not done, that just, that's so, it is unbelievably demoralizing. So there's that. Then you get to collaborations. You get all the, like my last collaboration was the failed collaboration and it destroyed my working relationship with my first former publisher. Because the problem is when you get to, when it goes from just you to other collaborators, you have to defend them. You have to defend them to the death. And Mm -hmm. the problem is when you go from writer defending your contribution, your contributor's content to the death and then you put on your author salesman representative hat then it's like all those oh i remember you you were nasty to me and not letting me do whatever i wanted to this contributor's content oh not oh not how my how the tables are turned so it's you got to be really really careful in how you defend your guys content you got to be careful and making sure they feel res- your contributors feel respected and not, you know, go full raging bull on a China shop on potential publishers in the process. You have to respectfully say, hey, I need you to respect this. And that was my first big because I'm not an actual author. I just kept my promise to my guys and wrote the book. OK, mm-hmm. so, yeah, it's it's 
And the politics of the of the veteran culture are as nasty as you might think they are because we're a small community. We're a tight knit community and we eat our own like it's nobody's business, but we love it. You know that, you know that we eat each other alive, but we still love each other, but we want to beat each other half. It's that's what it is. And we're constantly testing each other's loyalty and assessing each other. Like we were downrange. Like, can I trust this dude? In the most insane, stupid uh, scenario possible. So yeah, it's that the, the, the military and veteran community is an obstacle getting it out there to the masses in a way that won't freak them out too much is an obstacle. You know, there, it's just, it's a lot of different obstacles, but those are a few of the major ones. Okay. When it comes to your love of cooking, uh, obviously they had to come in when you Mm -hmm. want to start this cookbook. How did, how did that come upon? Well, That's wild because my editor and my now former publisher, God bless them both. They, they, I didn't pick up on the sarcasm when they suggested I write the cookbook because I was so grateful to them for helping me that I was just cooking for them to suck up to them. So when they said write the cookbook, I didn't pick up on the sarcasm. Okay. So I just went hog wild, just digging up all my old recipes and digging, taking stories out of my book. Like in part one, uh, or my first deployment in a nutshell, I talked about a few guys that were in the hospital because they got sick and I had to feed them. So I would go to the child hall and just shove as much food down their throat as I could. And the other reason I did the cookbook, you know, it's, it's so it, the plan is for my cookbook and my, and my smoker project, I'm going to link them together to help fight uh, isolation and PTSD related issues. Cause the cookbook will get you in, out of your room and, and into the kitchen. And then the smoker will get you from in the kitchen out of the house. Cause isolation is a nasty, nasty, nasty issue for veterans. Cause it really contributes to the suicide epidemic. And the problem with that is they always say 22 a day. Guess what? During the pandemic, it's spiked to about 35 or 40. At least that's the estimate. So yeah, those were the, and, and plus I had a guy, his name was Don. He's a fellow author. He was an Intel guy. And I would, I would feed him some of my cooking because he liked my cooking. And one night, one day I was cooking for him in the Wisconsin in the first week of December in 10 degree weather. And I was thinking to myself, I've got to find a better way to do this. And the cookbook and the smoker project I'm going to link together are me trying to do it better. It's sort of like somewhere between prison food and comfort food, but I'm also going to have a chef help me to really class it up to make it really cool. So that's, that's that in a nutshell. Mm. Um, about your, 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 your love for sports. How, How did that come upon? Um, oh, dude. being in the military, you guys get to see the biggest events, you know, the mm-hmm. SOPs, mm-hmm. Wimbledon's, um, the fall classic with with the MLB World Series. You've got the Super mm-hmm. Bowl. Um, talk to us about that. Oh, dude, dude, dude. I grew up playing baseball. I grew up playing football. Um, I remember <laughs> I remember I was downrange at the end of my second deployment. We were playing a, a flag football game, but I was an offensive tackle on, on the outside on the left side. And I took a nasty shot to the rib and it didn't break the rib. It's where that, 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 uh, where that connected, that thick connected tissue is. And I wanted to get back in shape. I was really struggling with, with my physical fitness because I was so depressed and I got to give it, you know what? I hope you, I hope, uh, one of, uh, one of my favorite football legends doesn't get, doesn't get mad at me for giving him a shout out, but there's a guy named James Harrison. Yeah. Okay. He was pushing a sled with like a thousand pounds on it. And in my limb, that limbic part of my brain, I was like, I have to, 
I have to do that. And that's one of my, the reason that's one of my favorite things to do and I got to get back at it, but yeah. Um, well, and that's the thing. You've got to be in great shape to survive combat. So naturally sports and the military are going to kind of go together. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, um, we, we love it because it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's that, you know, bullets and the bombs, obviously. So yeah. Um, I grew up in the Jordan era, you know, so yeah, I, you know, where I stand on the goat status, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna speak on that real quick. Don't get yeah. Well, that's actually what I was gonna say. Okay. Segue to you. What's your thoughts about this okay. goat status? All right. Well. Uh, all right. Okay. Here it comes, dude. Okay. This is stat free, but check this out. Okay. Jordan. The only thing I ever heard Jordan referred to as when Kobe called him Mike, which I mean that takes a pair of cojones. Before that, he I never heard him referred to as anything but Black Jesus, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, with LeBron, it was LeBron, LeCry, LeWine, LeFlop, Le, you know, curse words. You know what I'm saying? Nobody called Jordan anything other than Mike and Black Jesus. I'm, I'm sorry. The, you, I'm sorry. I, I, I respect LeBron's game. I respect his accomplishments. He doesn't command that level of respect, okay? I'm sorry, no. And I'm sorry, you put Jordan in his prime against LeBron in his prime, I'm sorry. LeBron's getting juked out of his shoes. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I said what I said. Hey. hey. Big words, Mike. The man the man has spoken. <laughs> he has spoken. Right, go ahead. I, 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 I actually agree with you on uh, Gene, Gene on the take. I, I do believe Jordan, Jordan is the GOAT. But I, I, I want to say this. I want to bring it. Um, to to another level. You are from Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Yeah. From from your perspective, I wanted to check check the temperature of the state. From mm-hmm. from your perspective, who is a bigger draw in Wisconsin, Aaron Rodgers or Giannis Antetokounmpo? Uh, right now, it's Giannis. Okay. Because Giannis is he's got a really cool vibe. I don't mind Aaron. Yeah, he's got a Super Bowl, but if he doesn't get another Super Bowl, yeah. he can't run his mouth about how much better he is than Brett. Yeah, because the rings at that and. I mean, he, from what I hear, he's cool, but every now and again, he comes across, you know, uh, how do I say it? You remember that movie? You remember, okay, the replacements, that, that one quarterback who was like the, the, the old hand and he was, he was a total, I'm not saying he comes across like that, but he comes, he tries too hard to be too cool. And it's like, just dude, just, just play. He, sometimes he comes across as trying too hard to be too cool. So, Mm. yeah. But so, yeah, I'm going to go with the honest right now because, okay. Yes. Green Bay is a standard in Wisconsin. He's, he's pretty much like from when you're a toddler, it's a required a part of your citizenship of the state of Wisconsin to be a Packers fan. Yes. But here and now Giannis is the bigger draw because he's got he's got the, the cooler vibe and they've got a ring. Okay. They've got they got a trophy. So yeah, right now it's Giannis. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. As of late, you it's it's what you've done for me lately. It, yeah, this is the thing. Yeah. yeah, talk to me about Giannis. I mean, obviously, this guy's a dominant player in the league. Um, mm-hmm. right now, would you say he is the best player in the league right now? Um, what's your what's your stance on that? Well, I think he is. I mean, he's and that here's the thing: he's dominant, and he's got his. He hasn't hit his. He hasn't even come close to hitting his ceiling yet. So it's like it's not just dominance right now, but it's projecting it out into the future. So he'll be. I, I'll he'll be in the goat conversation. I'll just yeah. say. Really? That, really? that was going to be... You believe that? He's, Giannis so... will be in the GOAT conversation if he stays consistent. That's I, I said, There you go. 
That would that's so funny. I was getting ready to ask him that. Do you see a scenario <laughs> where Giannis can end up in the top ten when it's all said and done? Because I, 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 I actually agree with that. I don't think Giannis has done winning rings. I I, he, I don't think. No, 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 no. Uh, uh-uh. he's not done. No. So yeah, he he's. He's in the top. I, I don't want to. I, I got a few guys that I really like at the top five, you know. So I'm not going to alienate anybody there, but I will say he's easily in the top 10. Okay. Go ahead, Mike. What were you going to say? Yeah, I was going to ask him that. Like, when Giannis' career is over, does he see him in the top 10? Because I see a scenario where he could potentially jump into that top 10 before his career is over. Oh, he's, um, yeah. He, if he gets, if he gets easily two, two to three more rings, because Steph, it took him forever to get into the top five, but he's there. He should be there, you know. I'm thinking two to three more rings, he's easily in the top ten. Like, no question. You, you, you think Steph so, so let me ask this. You, you have Steph Curry in your top five? I do. I do. What's the reasoning for that? Talk to me. Dude, he's a three-point machine in, 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 in a bag of flesh. I mean – He's one of the greatest ever as far as three-pointers is concerned. I mean, you know. So, he's a, he's a three-point machine in a bag of flesh. I mean, he, that's all he does. Do you think that also because of his impact in the game? Because he's uh, most have said that Steph has revolutionized the game to a place where, you know, back in, you know, in your era, the 90s, the 80s, there weren't mm-hmm. really a lot of three-point attempts attempted. But now in today's game, there's a lot more spacing, a lot more – the guards are, you know, dictating tempo. Mm-hmm. You think that that he's impacted the way that the game is viewed as well. well you know, if if they move the three point line back, it'll be because of him because he's he's shooting what five ten feet back from th- from three point range on a regular basis. Yeah, so I mean, when he when he when he when you're the reason, like let's say they do move the three, they should they really should. I mean, but no, when he if they move the three point line back. For whatever reason, for for competition, for the sake of you know cranking up the competition and and forcing people to up their game, that'll because that that will be because of Steph. Okay, let's face it. I, I would love to see him do it. You know, just to really, really crank up the pressure and crank up the competition. So yeah, and I, I also think it's because the league is a lot. I don't want to say softer, but they're looking at player longevity. You know what I'm saying? Whereas, where in Jordan's day, just it was, it was like one stop short of no blood, no foul. Right. Where, mm-hmm. Whereas now, I, forgive me, forgive me, but forgive the, the flop thing. But it's like if you touch certain players, it's like I'd like to thank I, I I'd like to thank you know all the little people for my Oscar, for you know my flop worthy you know my Oscar worthy flop performance. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm always gonna be that no blood, no foul guy and be like, really dude? Yeah. Really? Do, do you want an Emmy? Do you want a Golden Globe? Do you want I mean do you want a People's Choice Award too? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Like a James Harden per se. <laughs> yeah. 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 No doubt about that. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah man. Um I'll say this. This would you rather? Would you prefer when you're um all sports for a second? Would you prefer when you're reading? Would you prefer uh, audio books or the paper copies? Really, you got to have both because you got to have. I, I like tan. My book is tangible now. You know what I'm saying? So okay. you always got to have the tangible. You know, there when you want to just chill, but when you just want to absorb it quick, go with the audio. You know what I'm okay. saying? So there's there's a there's a case for both and and. 
yeah, that, that's just the way I like to do things. I like to be flexible. I like to have maximum options. So both works. Okay. Mm-hmm. Who you think was winning the title this year? You're obviously an NBA guy, um, obviously an NFL guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in both sports, so who do you see representing hoisting the Super Bowl this year, and who do you see winning the NBA championship this season? Uh, NBA. Well, I mean, Golden State's looking good. Mm-hmm. Golden State's looking really good, um, but. You know, Boston, I think Boston will make it interesting simply because they got embarrassed and they're pissed off. Okay. So I'll say Golden State and Boston in, 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 in the NBA finals. Uh, Again, so you'll see a rematch. You think there'll be a rematch this season? Because they happen so infrequently. We're due for what I mean, like Jordan's repeat, Jordan's repeating. So, yeah, it's definitely within the realm of possibility. Football, um, I'm a Packers fan, but – but um, <laughs> right now, right now, Buffalo, I, I'm God help me. I'm old enough to remember Buffalo going to the Super Bowl four times and losing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, Buffalo yeah. needs to break that curse of the Bambino and Josh Allen needs to beat needs to beat Patrick Mahomes for his own psyche. He needs that. He needs to do it this year or I don't think he'll ever recover. So I'm going to say Buffalo for the AFC NFC. I don't. I, I don't know about the Rams. They're looking kind of, kind of now. And now with Jimmy G back running San Francisco, <laughs> I'll dare say it could be. Uh, and because everybody thought, oh uh, no, I'm sorry, I, I'm not going to even talk about Russell Wilson right now because <laughs> he cooks. Uh, I, I, I okay, I, I, my cooking is way better than his right now because he cooks. Uh, <laughs> he cooks some. Some nasty MREs and made everybody about want to puke, but yeah, okay. No, so for I'll say the Bills will beat San Francisco in the Super Bowl. Hmm. That's that's a good that that's a good uh that's a good annihilation. Again, I, I like that. Again, Josh Allen needs to beat Patrick Mahomes this year or he'll never recover mentally. I, I agree. Yes, that, Mike. Agreed. I agree. Agreed. Agreed. I like I like the Buffalo. I like I like the Buffalo pick a lot. They they um, were our through our preseason picks as well, Genie. Yeah. That makes us happy. And that makes me happy that you you feel like Boston will be back there. And and I, I have something to say about the Boston pick because to me, to me, if the ball if Boston does get back to the finals, Yudoka's out of there, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I don't see a scenario where I I feel I don't see a scenario where you have the same success mm-hmm. getting to the finals the very next year with the with the similar squad. Yeah, and, and and then bringing him back, they are to me. They already want him out the door in in, in some various various fashion. Mm-hmm. If they find a way to get back to the NBA Finals with Coach Mazzula in his first season, mm-hmm. that's not good for Udoka's uh, tenure in Boston. Yeah, I don't see him coming back. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was yeah. I heard about that. That oof. You know, at this point, they just need to just block everything out and just play. They need to act like it never happened and just. And just go. That's right. all I can do at this point. Yep. Yeah, definitely there for sure. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on, uh, Jeannie, and 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 we we're looking forward to that book that you have there as well. It's alongside the cooking book. Uh, I'm looking forward to that dish <laughs> that I'm supposed to be having soon as well. Hey, 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 hey! It's gonna take a little while because what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna try. I got some buddies in Florida. I'd rather find a way to get my projects done beat the uh, because my rule is i never like if i cook food for you you've got to be eating within two to three days so the plan is 
get get my my smoker project done get at the very least get a prototype built and beat feet down to florida because i got veteran brothers down in florida and they're all my crazy guys that i love we'll get together we'll do the cooking and, and i'll get it to you that way because i don't like not i don't like people having food that isn't fresh so we'll i will work it from that angle okay oh, that's not exactly. a problem but again pleasure to have you on um Best of luck to, to, to your adventures there as well. Um, we're oh, looking yeah. forward to reading those books. Um, but before you leave, obviously, share where everyone can find you on the, your platforms, whether it's uh, your URL or your social medias. I know old schools don't really do social medias, but just tell some of our listeners and our viewership where they can find you. All right. Okay, here's where I'm at. Uh, I am Mickey Severson on Facebook. I've eventually got to get on Twitter, even though it's it's like, Twitter's a dumpster fire right now, but I think Elon's going to turn it into the wild, wild west. I'll eventually get back on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Um, the book, the name of the book is We Did Not Deserve the Crapper. The prison we we entered but never fully left. Right now, I'm tr- again, I'm, tr- I'm transitioning from one literary consultant to another. So the page is down. Once I get it back up in the next week to 10 days, hopefully – I'll send you the link and you can share it with everybody. And, I, and once I get that done, I'll get back full steam on the cookbook and the brick oven smoker project. And I'll get you guys that information as I'm getting all this done. Cause right now me, my engineer and one of my cook buddies, um, we're working on that and we're doing some, we're, we're helping some, we're doing some secret squirrel stuff, helping people out. Like, cause we literally just helped a friend of mine get a, a friend. One of my buddies, the, the cook guy, he and I helped uh, 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 an interpreter get out of Afghanistan alive and in one piece. And we got to get, we got to do right by him. And then once we get all that done, I'm back on, I'm back on that. I'm back on the cookbook thing. I'm back on the brick oven smoker thing. And basically the book getting republished is going to be a re-release because the new, the new publishing consultant is like orders of magnitude better. So that having been said, I'll keep you in the loop and we'll get everything to you. So you guys can see what we're doing. No doubt about that. Looking- yes, sir. As well as all. And that wraps up segment two of our great show here today. When we come back, we'll go ahead and wrap things up with the association and Mike's closing arguments, the semi podcast radio show live and only streaming here on WNSC Radio. Yes. How we how we how we doing yeah. And we are back here on the third inset, final segment of our show today. Myself, my right partner, Michael Gray, back at it again. The NBA, Mike, starting in a week, October 17, kickoff or tip-off, should I say, to the NBA season. We've got my beloved Celtics and the new look Philadelphia 76ers. And on the night tip, we've got the ring ceremony for the Golden State Warriors as they host the Lakers, LeBron James and company. That will also be a good one there as well. 
uh, we've already seen some preseason action as well. Mike Zion looks amazing, um, has lost over 80 pounds. Um, James Harden as well, losing weight. Um, some things that stood out to you as well, Mike, what has, what have what you thought on your observations thus far? Uh, throughout the preseason or for those teams? About, uh, throughout the preseason. Uh, I like I like what I saw from the Clippers. I like, I like the Clippers gelling so far. Kobe John Wall, Paul George look real good together. Kawhi Leonard coming back. I like what I saw from him. Um, the Miami Heat look, look stuffed. They look like they still have their chemistry intact. I like. Uh, I also like what I saw from the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, low-key. Anthony Edwards has been playing pretty solid, um, you know, anticipating what they look like when Cat comes back. Uh, I didn't get to see him last night against the Clippers, but early on in the in the couple of preseason games that they had before he before him playing, I did um I did like what I saw from the Minnesota Timberwolves, and I do believe they can be a a force to be reckoned with uh, out there in the league. Definitely, definitely, I I agree with you. Um, there as well. I loved as well, Mike. What I've seen thus far from. Uh, the the Pelicans. The Pelicans has really stood out to me. Zion, Mike, I don't know if it's me, but he looks quicker. He he looks quicker, and he's going to be a problem because in the short stint that we saw Zion play in those 85 games, I know he's missed a lot of games. This is this brother is a 24 to 27 range point score when he's actually been on the floor. And he's too quick for bigs, and he's too strong for a lot of centers. And, and that's going to be a problem because not only – um, you know, uh, Stan Van, uh, Jeff, not Stan, yeah, Stan Van Gundy, former Orlando Magic's head coach, used to do this. They used to put the ball in his hands on the top of the key and play him as a guard and to dribble around these centers and front forwards to get to the basket. But you see Willie Green starting to do that too. And I think that's definitely something that he can take. And, and I, I think this Pelicans team, Mike, I think their ceiling is this year could be anywhere from the second round to the conference finals. I, I'm really big on them that much. Brandon Ingram is an excellent second option, and a lot of teams would love to have C.J. McCollum as not only their third option, Mike, but their closer. So I, I think this team is set up for success. I like what they did defensively as well last year, even though losing the six games to Phoenix. This is a team, Mike, I think that I think could be in that top six this year in in the West. I don't want to go as far as they'll be in that upper echelon team, but I think if any of those top teams play this team in the first round, this could be a, a, a tough matchup for them for sure. Very much so. Very much. You saw it last year with Phoenix. You know how how tough, how much how how tough the Pelicans made it for them, and um, and very being very scrappy in that series. So yeah, the Pelicans can definitely build off that experience boy, and the and the experience that they've had in the past. Of other, uh, you know, play playoff playoff losses and stuff like that. Um, this team is building in the right direction, and they're getting quality pieces that fit what they bring to the game. So, hats off to the Pelicans. I like what I'm going to get from Brandon Ingram this year. He's coming into his own. Um, CJ McCollum, Zion, Herb Jones, who we talked about. Uh, this team, this team is very special. Jose Alvarado's <laughs> still there. Shout out to him. It's it's uh I'm looking forward to seeing what this Pelicans team is gonna look like. They're gonna be fun and they're gonna be very competitive to stomach to jump out the gate. I think they're gonna jump out on a lot of teams very early in the season. Yep, no doubt about that. They're no longer the secret anymore. Nope. Especially what they did in the playing tournament to actually get into the playoffs for sure. I, Willie Green to me definitely deserves to, to get a contract extension as well. We'll see if management and David Griffin uh, hands them 
Bill continue to build off of this past season. He just had an up and he will have one. Believe that he might shoot. And depending on how fast they start or how well they start off, he might get one midseason, almost kind of like how Bickerstaff got his last year. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Definitely service. So speaking of Bickerstaff, talk to me about this Cleveland team, Mike. Um, a lot of expectations. They got Donovan Mitchell. They feel like that's the missing piece. I think defensively, they'll be amongst the best teams in the NBA because. They have those two towers inside with Jared Allen, and I think Mobley is a rising star in this league, only at age 21. Um, you, you couple that up with what they feel is the best backcourt in the Eastern Conference in Garland and, and uh, Donovan Mitchell. A lot of expectations for Cleveland this year, and, and um, we'll see what they do. Yeah, I believe they're going to answer a lot of questions this year, and I'm glad that they loaded up in a year that a lot of teams are going to be gunning for them. And uh, I, from what I saw, especially in that that, that game against Phila- Philadelphia, uh, in, in, even in a small sample size, they look pretty solid. They look pretty good on both yes. ends, especially offensively. There was a rotation going on. The ball was moving. It was clicking. It wasn't sticky. I like what I was seeing from that. I do believe that their Donovan Mitchell had being on this team is going to take a lot of the offensive prowess away from Darius Garland. And he's, he's he doesn't have to be the main focal point on every offensive possession. That's one of the biggest reasons why they brought him in is to take the load off the man that they just built gave the keys to the franchise too. So Donovan Mitchell coming in so far in the preseason and small sample sizes look solid throughout the 82 game season is going to be the biggest question. And I do believe that they're going to look, um, they're going to continue to build over time and even expound on what they built off last year. Yep. No doubt. No doubt. Only, only question, only question I have, my bad, sorry, but the only question I have for them is, uh, is, is the injuries. You know, Evan Mobley, I know he's young and early, but um, I'm starting to see a, 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 a resume of, you know, consistency with the injuries, especially to his ankles and, and, and feet and stuff like that. So uh, I, I do want to see them stay on the course, see Evan Mobley are more more healthy, but I know that's going to come over time. He's so young and so so fresh in the league. So, you know, just, just the maturation process of these, of these guys' bodies, that's going to be the biggest key for me. Yep, no doubt. No doubt there for sure. We know the Grizzlies are going to be without Jaron Jackson for a long time, but my goodness, Mike, John Morant already looks like he's in midseason form. And that is scary, scary, scary hours for the NBA. Could we see a situation where this guy, Mike, could be in the MVP race this season? He finished with seventh last year. I don't believe so. I don't. When you, when I say legitimately being in the MVP race, I gotta legitimately have you in the top five. I don't believe he's gonna be in that class this year. I do believe that other players coming back this season. There, there's gonna be there, there's gonna be much more competitive and much more worthy opponents this year for that award. Now, he is he gonna be flashy? Is he gonna have his moments? Is he gonna have a stretch? Maybe where he may even be in the consideration, possibly. But when it's all said and done at the end of the year, when we really have a legitimate conversation about who's the MVP, I don't believe John Moran's going to be on the list because of the stiff competition of others coming back. You got Kawhi Leonard coming back. You know, Nikola Jokic is still out there. Joel Embiid, LeBron James coming back for a full Luka. season. AD, Luka, Luka Doncic, uh, Kevin Durant coming back, you know what I'm saying, for a full season, who was an MVP candidate before he got hurt last year. There's just so many other opponents. About it either, yeah. you know, so it's just so many other worthy opponents to me before I would go to John Moran. He's going to be flashy, but I don't believe MVP now. Yeah, what about these young guys, the, the guys that are just coming in? Paulo Benquero for the Orlando Magic, um, 19 points that we saw uh, the other day. Um, he looked very solid, Mike. He looked very, he did things I didn't see in Duke. I didn't know he can, you know, pound off the dribble, top of the key, cross you over, and then go on a sidestep triple. He did things I didn't see in Duke. So um, how, how, how has he looked? He's looked he's look, he's look very well. I've actually watched a lot of Paulo over the summer. 
in uh in proams and things like that. So he's 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 looked very impressive to me since the summertime. Uh, when you got when you have players like him who have immense talent at Duke, you have to understand that he was playing in a certain system and playing a certain role in that Duke system. So he so all of his his offensive bag or all of his tricks and trades that he has in his arsenal may not have been on full display in Duke because of the system and how they, how they play basketball over there. We saw a similar situation like that with Jason Tatum while he was there, only averaging 14 points a game in college. So with Paulo Bancaro, you have to read some certain players like them. You have to read between the lines and see the potential. And I saw that potential over the summertime. He's going to have a very good season. Uh, he's going to really strike uh, fear in the opponents. And um, I do believe he's very mature for his age. And his body is his body is very mature for his age as well, getting ready for the pro league. So I do believe he's going to have a very solid rookie season and be in contention for rookie of the year. Yeah, absolutely. He's polished, man. The game is very polished. Polished score there as well. Mm-hmm. And I've seen significant strides on the defensive end. That's a huge thing, too. I haven't seen him do he, a lot of strides, especially in the summer league. I got to see him during the summer uh, there as well in Vegas. Um, huge, huge strides on that end of the floor. That's going to play dividends for Orlando team that's just looking for a start uh, there as well, there for sure. James Harden, Mike, I know you got a chance to see uh, the Sixers play um, a, a little bit. Talk to me about how he looks. Uh, most people say that in himself. He's lost a lot of weight. He's trying to get back to that, you know, Rockets, James Harden. Can we see a scenario this year that James Harden having something to prove and get back to the James Harden that we know that won three scoring titles and an MVP in Houston? He definitely has something to prove, but he he has absolutely nothing to prove throughout the regular season. I mean, when it comes to regular season accomplishments, he's pretty much done it all. Everybody's question but James Harden is going to be uh, in, in late April, May, June, going into June potentially for him. That's the only question for him. He's passed regular season criticism. He's passed regular season worrying about how he's going to do in the regular season. We know that he has something to prove and he's going to be motivated throughout the regular season and play well and put the team in position. James Harden and Joel Embiid last year were number one in pick and roll. And I believe they're going to enhance that even more with the full offseason and, and better chemistry with each other this season. So regular season-wise, they're going to be a top-five team in the Eastern Conference. The question is, when they get to the playoffs, is are they going to be ready enough? Um, will they have enough rest? Will they be locked in enough to be able to get over the hump and uh, make the plays that need to be made on both sides of the ball? That's going to be the key question for them. Not only James, but Joel as well as a duo. And will they coincide with each other and take the coaching from Doc? That's the biggest key, not, not the regular season. Yeah. A lot of games this year, Mike, you'll be covering in the Barclays Center yes. uh, with, with the Nets um, thus far. I think you've, you've covered a little bit over there. What you've seen so far, Ben Simmons looks really good. Um, it's been noted that Steve Nash says that he will start without any restrictions throughout the season thus far. I already see an immediate impact, Mike, on the defensive end of the floor. Yes. Simmons will provide for this Nets team. I think they'll be more deeper this year with the additions of Royce O'Neal as an added wing defender. What have you seen so far with the Nets? What I've seen, like you said, defensively is where he's made the most impact. You see offensively uh, in transition where he makes a huge impact offensively. However, um, I do believe it's still early. You know, it's so it's so early with this team, man. Him not playing at all last season when he got traded with the Nets. Uh, you're starting to see some of the, uh, the, the the chemistry not quite there yet as a whole with all of them. But that's going to come over time. And when it does click, oh, forget about it, Sebi. This is yeah. going to be special. I mean, all three of them on the court at the same time, along with the other weapons and shooters that they have. They have the perfect complementary of shooters around him. They remind you of 2017, 2018, when this team was the number one seed in the Eastern Conference and was dominating and was really dominating. And Ben Simmons got the best 
version version we got the best version well, no, I want to say 2017 18 I think it was maybe a year or two after that but it was that one year where the Philadelphia Eagles surrounded the team with a lot of shooters and that was the best situation for Ben that's what the Brooklyn Nets have done when you yeah. think about uh, Royce O'Neal Seth Curry still there Patty Mills Joe Harris coming back off injury there's a lot of three-point shooters that can be had uh, with this team outside of Katie and Kyrie so uh, when they do find that chemistry um, it's going to be special, but there's going to be some growing pains and adverse situations before they get to that point. The question is, are they going to be patient enough to stay the course and continue to hoop and continue to play at a high level even through those adverse situations as they continue to get that, that chemistry going? Yeah, definitely that for sure. You'll be my guy. I look for for Nets talks. You know, you'll be having a close eye on, on those games there as well. So I'm uh, pretty excited about that opportunity. Mike, this is your time to shine. The limelight is yours. You're at the Apollo. Take it away. Yes, sir. My closing arguments is, is it's, it's about, um, it's about, I'm going to go to the NFL and I'm going to talk about the Dallas Cowboys. And the reason why I'm going to talk about the Dallas Cowboys is this. I believe, I believe this, this Cooper rush, Dak Prescott, quote unquote, quarterback competition. That's, you know, narrative, narrative that's going around. To me, is the is highlights is one of the prime examples of why the Dallas Cowboys have been where they are for the last twenty five years, and why they to me they won't win a Super Bowl in the Jerry Jones era. And I'm gonna tell you why. When Tony Romo, when Tony Romo got hurt and Dak Prescott came in, you know he played he played he played very he played very well in his rookie season, and he and he, he played phenomenal. And you had a situation where. He he played well uh, within the team confines, and he played it. He did his thing, and they're automatically looking at themselves like, okay, they have another franchise quarterback. Let's move on from Tony Romo. So what happens is, you know, six seven years later, you're in you're in a similar situation with Cooper Rush. Dak Prescott gets hurt in week one. Cooper Rush comes back. It seems like the problem to me with the Dallas Cowboys isn't just uh, an organization. Um, you know, obviously the organizational perspective over the years, but to me, it's an infatuation for the glory and the allure of that moment. That's mm-hmm. the biggest problem that the Cowboys have under the Jerry Jones era. He was one of the main ones in the media that started this Cooper Rush, Dak Prescott noise early on in the season when, when, the, when the question was asked about him. This is why the Cowboys would, would never win a Super Bowl to me because they will never get to the point where they get an elite quarterback because every time... A quarterback starts to tail off or isn't playing the best or gets hurt. And another quarter, a backup quarterback who isn't great or elite, but he's good enough to win games in that moment. And he's bringing wins in that moment. Just because he's good enough to win games in that moment and he's good. And then you go to him as a starting quarterback. And then when he shows you that he's not as great as you thought he was, then you're ready to move on to the next good quarterback that gives you that same allure. And it's been a constant quarterback cycle for these Dallas Cowboys over the years. And that's one of the main reasons why they never get over the hump. And they're just good enough to be a relevant team in the space over the last 25 years is because they've been so infatuated with the moment and the allure of what a good quarterback can give you in a short time frame that they're not looking at the bigger picture of what this team could look like if they actually stayed patient and stayed the course and got someone on that level. The, to rush to rush and say that Cooper, no pun intended, to, 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 to speed up this process and say that Cooper Rush is you know, already a, a lock or a sheer lock to take Dak Prescott's spot 
uh, you know, when he comes back. This, this not to me, it's almost ludicrous and nonsense based on how they've been playing. Cooper Cooper Rush is a good quarterback. Cooper Rush has been a game manager for the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys paid Dak Prescott to be their franchise quarterback. Those two do not coincide with each other. You know, the, 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 it's, it's the allure and the noise of wanting or, or looking for that high-level um, moment, that allure of the moment, that spark. That's something that Jerry Jones has loved over the years, that spark. And that and that temporary spark is one of the main reasons why they haven't had long-term success down the line when it really matters. So that's one of my – that's my hot take. That's my – Quick take on that. Cooper Rush, this is not to take anything away from Cooper Rush and what he's done so far and what he's done in the five games as a starter. I This is more so a, a bigger issue that I see with the Dallas Cowboys and their ineptitude. And it's part of the reason this situation with Cooper Rush and rushing, trying to rush someone out of a situation or putting it in the media that, oh, it's competition between a, a franchise paid quarterback and, um, you know, a backup quarterback. That that's one of the main reasons why the Cowboys have been in the position that they've been in the last twenty five years, and to me, that's one of the main reasons why they won't win the Super Bowl in the Jerry Jones era. You've heard it from the man first about the Cowboys <laughs> versus why not agree with you, man. That that is what you call entitlement. That is what you call uh, uh, just you know, basically creating theories, and uh, that is just doesn't need to be this man and the Dallas Cowboys you're trying to get back to the glory days of the 90s and this is not a way to do it um it's starting to feel like Jerry Jones is a distraction like LeVar Ball was for the Ball brothers and and he just you know I I think Mike you, you hit the nail on the coffin like sometimes Jerry just has to stick with his role you are the GM of the Dallas Cowboys stick to that role and, and just continue to manage the team your role to Make sure that Cowboy Stadium and all its operations is going well. No need to get involved with player development. That or that's that's for the GM, not 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 for Jerry Jones. And I, I just think sometimes it's entitlement, and sometimes he just wants to stick his nose in business that doesn't need to be. And and it comes with that when you're when you're involved with Jerry. And it also it's also one of the biggest reasons why they haven't had certain head coaches. In that in that organization over the last few years, like like a Sean Payton is one of the main reasons why Sean Payton hasn't uh you know been been deemed the head coach yet because in Dallas if when if you have someone as strong minded as strong as Sean Payton that can that that type of alpha male energy can, can collide with Jerry Jones. We've seen it in the past, especially in the nineties, you know, with with coaches that they've had in the past during that during that time and. Ever since then, there's been a certain type of head coach that's been with the Dallas Cowboys, and usually they're not the type of head coach to challenge Jerry Jones. I, I don't, I don't see that as a coincidence. Yep, I don't see that as, as as all there. That wraps up episode four of this season for us. Myself, my rap partner Michael Gray. Any last thoughts, last word that we hit, Mike? I, I think that 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 wraps up for today's show. Yeah, that, yeah, that wraps up for today, man. We got a lot of. Uh, a lot, a lot of stuff going on. Big, big, big matchup tonight between the Raiders and the Chiefs. It's gonna be uh, interesting. But uh, yeah, that that's, that that wraps up everything. Yep, and we haven't touched base on the Fall Classic and the MLB playoffs that is going on right now. I know mm-hmm. some good matchups mm-hmm. is gonna be happening. So, uh, the the AL and NLDS is upon us. So, uh, we're gonna be keeping a close eye on that too. Big time, no doubt about that. So long for now. 
and we'll see you guys next week. Peace. Hey, everyone. We're excited just as much as you guys tonight if you enjoyed this show. And frankly, even some of our other episodes as well. If you want to show your appreciation for the show, ensure that you leave us a rating and a review in our iTunes and Spotify. And remember, you can stay locked in here and connected. Sebupodcast.info link for the latest news, articles, interviews, and much more. And remember, wherever you're listening on air or online, the Sebu Podcast is wherever you go.